Hey, good morning, Christ Community Church. It's so good to be with you all this morning. My name is Matt. I'm the youth director here, and I'm excited to study God's Word with you this morning. You can go ahead and open your Bibles to the book of Proverbs. We'll be starting in Proverbs chapter 11, verse 29. And as we've been studying um, wisdom in our sermon series these past few weeks, we've been looking at various topics, ways that God's wisdom bears fruit in our lives. Several weeks ago, we were in James 3, and we were talking about how wisdom helps us break down our pride. And then we turned to the book of Proverbs and have looked at a collection of Proverbs around each topic week by week. We looked at humility and then listening and speaking, and you can see how these things build one on the other. And now we're turning to the wise family in Proverbs. And that's significant because you can see how even as these things build on one another, they also tend to apply first and foremost in the context of our families. That's true whether we're married or single, whether we're young or old, we all have a family and often our family is a place where we need the most wisdom in how we listen and in what we say and how we break down our pride and how we grow in our humility. And this also applies in our church family and the family of God. And so we need to hear what God's wisdom teaches us about family life. And so the key truth we're going to see this morning is that God's wisdom helps us cultivate our families as sacred canopies where we grow in reconciliation and discipleship. Let me read that again. God's wisdom helps us cultivate our families as sacred canopies where we grow in reconciliation and discipleship. If you would, let's turn our hearts and minds now to the words of our God, starting in Proverbs 11:29, which says this, Whoever troubles his own household will inherit the wind, and the fool will be servant to the wise of heart. Turning now to Proverbs 23, verses 24 through 25, which says, The father of the righteous will greatly rejoice. He who fathers a wise son will be glad in him. Let your father and mother be glad. Let her who bore you rejoice. And lastly, Proverbs 31, verses 10 through 11. An excellent wife, who can find? She is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her and he will have no lack of gain. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So as we begin this study of, of wisdom in family life in the book of Proverbs, we want to start the way we've been starting each topical sermon in this series, which is looking to Jesus. Because God's wisdom doesn't come to us as something that we can, we can grow in by our own strength and power. We can only grow in these things through our union with Christ. So we need to start with Jesus and ask, how did Jesus practice wisdom among his family? Because think about it, in taking on flesh, in becoming not only truly God, well, he never became that, he was always truly God, but in becoming truly man through the incarnation, Jesus received a human family. And if you look at the sweep of Jesus' interactions with his family, you discover that he placed great value on the family, and yet he also did not idolize the family. Of course, if you go to Luke 2, which is the one glimpse we have into Jesus' childhood, you see that he honored his father and mother. He obeyed the commandments of God and, and loved his parents well. But then if you turn to Luke 14, you also see that Jesus taught that whoever does not hate father and mother or brother and sister for his sake is not worthy of following him. And there's this balance there. And the point was not that he's deconstructing the family and sees it of no value, but he's saying it must not become ultimate. Our loyalty to our family cannot override our loyalty to God. And when we put all this together, his example and his teaching, we see that he had a long-term view of the family. He 
had not a preoccupation with quick fixes and life hacks to make us feel really successful in the moment, but he was focused on growing the family in wisdom over time. And think about it. In Mark 3, verse 21, at the beginning of his ministry in Mark's gospel, we see Jesus teaching. People are gathering around him as they've seen some of his signs and miracles, and his family's not sure what to do about this. His mother Mary and some of his brothers say that he is out of his mind. They're looking at him the way you might look at certain relatives who maybe post uh, really wacky things online or, or are always sharing articles that make you cringe. And you wonder like, ah, oh, what is this going to do if they comment on something one of my friends or something that I post? Like, how is that going to reflect on me? Um, and so Jesus' family, they're not sure what to do with him here. And Jesus doesn't take the, the, the quick fix route of, you know what, I'm going to push you guys out of my life. I'm going to cut out the toxic people. You're bringing me down. I'll, I'll make my own family with my friends. And you might think, but isn't that what Jesus does? After all, he says, when he points to his disciples, he says, those who do the will of my father, they are my mother and my brother and my sisters. But Jesus didn't give up on his family. He didn't. Over time, he focused on reconciliation and discipleship. And we know this because in John 19, as he's dying on the cross, Jesus looks out at John, he looks out at his mother Mary, and he tells John to take care of his mother. He is providing for his family long after he will ascend into heaven. And we know too that at least two of Jesus' brothers, James and Jude, became foundational leaders in the early church. And so this happened because Jesus didn't give up on his family. He cultivated wisdom over the long haul. He pursued reconciliation and discipleship with them. He valued his biological family and he wanted it to become part of his kingdom family of disciples, part of the family of God. And this is precisely how Jesus' example of wise family applies to me and you this morning. And we see this in Proverbs eleven twenty nine, 29, where it teaches us to wisely cultivate reconciliation in our families. Because Jesus' example in family life, what it teaches me and you this morning, is that we must not give up on our families. No matter how difficult, broken, frustrating, or dysfunctional they may be, Jesus' example teaches us that it is worth investing in them in wisdom over the long haul. In Proverbs 11:29, it teaches us that truth by showing us the great cost of what happens when we do give up on our families. Now, before we go any further, though, I want to be very clear at the outset of this sermon that when we're talking about the Proverbs, we're talking about matters of wisdom. We're not talking about moral absolutes or categorical imperatives that apply in absolutely the same way in every single case. Sometimes there are situations when it is, in fact, wise to distance yourself or separate yourself in some form or fashion from some or all of your family. For example, in the case of abuse, the wise thing to do is to bring that to light. And if you're in a situation where someone is abusing you or has abused you in your family, then please know that you can come to the leaders of our church for help. That abuse is not your fault. And I'm, I'm sorry that it, it has happened to you and it is not your burden to bear alone. We, as God's family, the church, are called to bear one another's burdens together. And the beauty of the gospel is that even when a family is shattered by abuse, the family of God, the church, can still be a sacred canopy for those who have been hurt by that abuse. They need not be ashamed or afraid of bringing that to the light. They can find hope in Christ and among His people. And the justice of the gospel entails that abusers be held accountable that their actions be brought to the light, not swept under the rug because we don't want to deal with it or because it's going to be really hard, but that their actions be brought to the light so they can be dealt with and so that they can do no more harm and that they can be called to repent. 
Now, with that, with that caveat made, and, and, and it's really important that we understand that, we can turn back to Proverbs 11.29 and, and think about what this is teaching us about reconciliation. And to be clear, reconciliation, what we mean by that, is using wisdom to bring a problem, a conflict, a shortcoming, an unmet expectation into the light so that it can be resolved in Christ. Is bringing these things out of the shadows, out of passing comments and sarcasm, bringing it onto the table so it can be dealt with with wisdom in Christ and we can pursue unity together as a family. And this proverb is telling us that when we're not doing that, there's great peril. It's talking about those who trouble their household, that they will inherit the wind. And when it's talking about troubling your household, it's not saying, you know, you get on your family's nerves with your quirks and your lame jokes and things like that. When it's talking about troubling your family, it's talking about ruining your family, neglecting your family, dividing your family, setting them on edge, casting them aside. The pictures of someone who doesn't care about their family. Maybe that happens because you take your family for granted. You put them on the back burner for your career or your selfish ambition. It can happen when you murder your family by the death of a thousand paper cuts through constant fault finding and nitpicking. It can happen when we hide addictions and sins and we bury our hearts in the arms of lovers less wild and we only ever wear masks of false piety and fake affection around our family. They don't really know us, we just pretend around them. With our sinful hearts, there are thousands of ways, aren't there, for us to trouble our families. And the end result of troubling our families in any of these ways, if we don't pursue reconciliation, is that we will inherit the wind. And this is a, a vibrant image because the wind is empty. It le there's nothing there for you to inherit at that point. It blows even the dust away. And yet the wind is also powerful. And the family is, is meant to be the sacred canopy, a place where you can be known and yet loved by people who are very close to you, where you can weather together the storms of life. And yet without that, the fool becomes servant to the wise. They, they lose those close bonds and those relationships that are meant to help them when life is at its hardest. So there's great cost to neglecting our families, to not pursuing reconciliation. And we're in some storms now, aren't we? Some have called this season a blizzard. With the pandemic, the cultural upheaval, the political turmoil, there are storms bearing down upon us and rattling our, our, our very selves and our families. And so it's worth each of us asking ourselves, both as individuals and then also as families together, what have the pandemic and current events revealed about your relationships in your family? Are you drifting towards trouble or are you cultivating reconciliation? Due to sin, drifting towards trouble, that's our default. <laughs> we don't need any help to make that happen. It doesn't take any effort. It just happens. And during this time, especially as we've all you know, been sheltering in place from one degree or another, and yes, we may be out and about more, but things have been upended. Kids are sometimes going to school and sometimes they're online with school. And there's a lot of pressure and strain, and that puts pressure on all of those relationships. And you might be discouraged by what you find. But take heart because the call is not to be a perfect family, but a family that proactively pursues reconciliation together. Not to settle for bitterness or hold on to grudges, but to bring those things into the light and to use God's wisdom to pursue reconciliation together as a family, both as our families and then as the family of God, the church. Now I want to move on to Proverbs 23, verses 24 through 25 and focus in on one particular relationship within the family, which is the relationship between parents and children. And even if you don't have kids, this can still apply to you as you think about the relationship between one generation 
and the next generation. And we're going to see here the call to wisely cultivate reconciliation and especially discipleship with our children. And as, as we approach this, you know, we, know, we know the need for this. There's a lot of strife in our culture between, between generations. We, we see this, we feel it, we, we hear about it, and we read about it in the news. But even more pressing and relatable, at the ground level, so many parents and kids and teens, they, they feel pressure. We're all stressed out, we're all anxious, and not just because of the pandemic. In our culture, so often kids feel like their job is not to let anybody down. The stakes feel super high in order to make sure you have a future, you get into college. And they feel like their job is to become the best at whatever they're good at, if they can even figure out what they're good at. And, and that leads to anxiety. And then for a lot of parents, they feel like their job is to make sure their kids become the best and they don't suffer and they get that good future no matter the cost. And so what happens is we overhelp, we overprotect, we bail out. And we're all then together, parents and kids, drowning in anxiety and fear and frustration. And so often that leads to friendly fire where we turn on each other. And so then we come to Proverbs 23, verses 24 and 25, and it talks about joy and gladness and the way we relate to one another as parents and kids, as one generation and the next. And if we're honest, you might be thinking to yourself, where on earth am I supposed to find the time to do that? Or maybe you feel um, just despair or cynicism. You're like, have you met my family? Like this, this just, we're just trying to get by. We're just trying to survive. This, this feels like, you know, a 1950s sitcom of the happy family that's not attainable in real life. What, what, what is God asking me to do here? So here's the thing. We have to recognize that God's wisdom is, is not calling us to just be successful parents or successful kids. He's calling us to grow. Discipleship and growth is not perfection. It's not performance. It's about our relationships together as family in Christ. And so God's wisdom, it comes to us not just as a technique, as a how, to get our kids ahead in life, to get our families ahead in life. It comes to us and radically changes the what and the why of our relationships as parents and kids. It means that success is not what is most important. Perfection is not the aim. We're aiming for growth, and wisdom is, is what we're aiming at as well. The call is to disciple our kids, to show them their surpassing worth of knowing Jesus, not just to help them get into college or, or get good grades or be the best on the field. And the beautiful thing about God's wisdom is that it comes to us in the good and the bad. It changes the way we see the relationships with our kids, with the next generation. It equips us to look at a child, at a student who is thriving, who's getting good grades, who is uh, a, a rule follower. They're not pushing the boundaries. They, they even see the wisdom and can tell you why they follow the rules. They don't do it blindly. And yet God's wisdom teaches us not just to be like, okay, they're good, I can focus on the other kids. It teaches us to have the discernment to, to make sure that child knows that we don't just love them because they're doing a good job. But we love them because of who they are as an image bearer and who they are in Christ. And it gives us the wisdom to train them to be humble, to receive those things, not as the labor and the fruit of their own hands, but as gifts from God, that they are then called to steward well and use for the life of the world and for the glory of their Father in heaven, not just for their self-aggrandizement and self-growth. And God's wisdom comes to us when we're parenting and raising and training kids who push every boundary and break every rule and who make mistakes that we fear may have implications for the rest of their lives. The world tells us you got to hide that stuff, you got to cover it up, you got you to step in and fix the problem for your kid. God's wisdom says, you can breathe. You don't need to be an anxious presence. 
You don't need to heap shame upon your kid. You don't need to use fear to manipulate their behavior. But you can be a presence where your kids need not be afraid to come and tell mom and dad what they're dealing with right now. Because mom and dad can become, not perfectly, but can become and grow over time, a presence that is non-anxious and that points their kids to Christ, to find in Him a hope that lasts and a love that stays, even in the midst of big failures and things that, that we don't want to admit are going on. But in Christ, we have the freedom to be a community, a church family, where we are not looking at each other and comparing our kids with one another, but we're being a place where we can build each other up and support one another as we raise the next generation, not just to be successful, but to be disciples where faithfulness and fruitfulness is far more important than success and accomplishment and accolades and picture-perfect lifestyles. So parents, find, find freedom to settle, or not even to settle, but to pursue joy rather than trying to anxiously clutch at success with your kids. And then students, I, I want to talk to you now because this proverb addresses you. The Lord is speaking to you in particular in verse 25, Let your father and mother be glad. Let her who bore you rejoice. And I fear that what you might hear, students, when you hear that is, oh man, that feels like a lot of pressure. Again, that just sounds like I can't let my parents down. But notice God isn't saying, hey, work really hard and do amazing, great things that your parents can post and brag about on social media. That's not what he's saying. This joy that he's calling you to experience with your parents is found only in Christ. It's found as you grow alongside your parents as a disciple. Because the wonderful thing about family as God has created it is that your parents need you, and you need them. You need the wisdom that God is teaching them, and they need the wisdom that God's teaching you. This is how God uses the generations in His church. There are things that you as the next generation are going to see about the church, about the world, that uh, previous generations, current generations, are not seeing in the same way. So we need your voice. But so often, and, and, and perhaps for good reason, you've, you've been silenced. But I, I want to encourage you, to use wisdom and, and speak up with your parents. Often when there's something you, you want to talk about with your parents, but you feel like you can't, that's a good sign from the Holy Spirit that it's something you need to talk about with them. And if you're afraid to go to them about that thing, start there. Tell them you, you want to be honest with them about something, but you're a little bit afraid about what they'll think. And trust that, that God will give your parents the wisdom to be that non-anxious presence, to help you grow, because they are a gift to you. You need their wisdom and they want to listen to you. And so the question we've got to ask ourselves and our families then is, parents, how can you become more wise in the way you listen to your kids? How can you not just jump in when they start to answer the question, but take the time to be quiet and ask another question and give them time to really unpack what's going on in their hearts? And then students, how can you become more wise in the way you speak to your parents? Not just using words to push them away and say, you never understand but using your words to, to reach out and to share your ideas because the adults in your life, whether they're your parents or your youth leaders or the other members of this church, we want to hear from you. You matter. You're an image bearer of God and we want to grow in wisdom together with you. Now let's turn lastly to Proverbs 31, 10 through 11 and talk about wisely cultivating reconciliation and discipleship in our marriages. Proverbs 31, this is a, a part of the book of Proverbs that is, is just really well known. It's, it's lovely. It's a beautiful poem from verse 10 on to the end of the chapter. It's the conclusion of Proverbs, and it's, it's significant that the person who embodies wisdom most fully, most beautifully in the book of Proverbs is a woman. 
That's not just a callback to Lady Wisdom from Proverbs 1 through 9. That would have been highly significant in Israel's society, which was largely dominated by men. The fact that God portrays His wisdom as being most fruitful and embodied in a woman shows that His wisdom is not just for half of humanity, but it's for everybody. And notice, if you read this whole poem later on today, you'll notice that the place where she's bearing fruit in wisdom is not the extraordinary. It's not in the political domain. It's not in the corporate world. It's not in the intellectual arena or the athletic field. She's bearing fruit in wisdom in her everyday ordinary life, in her own household, in her homegrown business, with her husband, with her children. And so God's wisdom, Proverbs 31 teaches us, is available to all of His people. And it bears fruit in everyday life. Now what that means is that it is the most important resource we have available to us in our marriages. And whether you hope to get married someday, whether you're dating somebody, whether you're about to get married because you're engaged, whether you got married recently or you've been married for decades now, you need God's wisdom in your marriage. One of the first lessons you learn in marriage, and it's one of the most common pieces of advice you'll be given on the way to marriage, is that you can't change your spouse. And that's true, you can't. But we've got to be absolutely clear about something. The truth that you can't change your spouse does not mean that your spouse can never change or grow. If we say that, if we say that they'll never change, they'll never grow, then we are denying the sanctifying, transformative power of God's grace and wisdom in our spouse's life. A massive temptation for any marriage is to take the truth that you can't change your spouse and make them more into your own image and then just to say, well, fine, I'm not going to pursue reconciliation. I'm not going to pursue discipleship together. What's the point? They're always going to annoy me. They're always going to do that thing that gets under my skin. But the thing is, two people who have resigned themselves to the conclusion that the other person will never change to become more like them, that's not the biblical vision of marriage. It might be what we see in sitcoms on TV, and it might be what we feel like is happening in our own lives. But all that leads to is mutual resignation mutual bitterness, and ultimately and often mutual contempt, which may start out in silence, but it doesn't stay silent for long. It bears poisonous fruit. And so, yes, God's wisdom, is, it does not teach us how to manipulate our spouse so they'll become more like how we want them to be. But God's wisdom does, in fact, truly teach us how we can become more like Christ alongside and together with our spouse. We can truly grow because of God's wisdom in our marriages. And here's the thing, you may look at Proverbs 31, 10 through 11, and you may feel a sense of guilt or despair and be like, I don't know if my spouse can say that of me. Would they say that I'm excellent, that I'm more precious than jewels? And you may come to it uh, with bitterness and be like, I don't know if my heart trusts in my spouse. I don't know if they've been no lack of gain to me. And so we look at this and we just think, this has nothing to do with my life. It seems like a Hallmark card that has nice words, but... You know, I, I'm just trying to use that to wallpaper over what's going on in my own life. But here's the thing, the beautiful truth, is that if you and your spouse are Christians, then the Holy Spirit lives in your hearts. The third person of, Trini of the Trinity, God Himself, lives in your heart. You have access in Christ to the full heavenly treasure room of blessings, which means you are both far more precious than jewels. Not just because of what you can do for each other, but because of who you are in Christ. And what that means, too, is that neither of you is the same person you were on your wedding day. 
You've grown, both of you, and that's a good thing. You're growing from one degree of glory to the next, being transformed by the power of the Spirit into the image of Christ. And so the question is, do you have enough wisdom to see that growth both in yourself and in your spouse? Are you really looking to see how your spouse is becoming more like Jesus? Or are you standing there just waiting for them to look more like you, even though you admit that you can't change them? So the question to ask, and this is such an important question in our marriages, and even as you're preparing for marriage, if you're dating, where do you see God's goodness in your spouse or in your future spouse? And how might the planks in your own eye be blurring your vision? How might your own grudges, your own sin, be keeping you from seeing your spouse as a gift from God? We want to become the people who through wisdom can pay attention and see more wisely, to stop looking at our spouses under a microscope, looking for everything they do that sets us on edge, and instead um, taking time to be still and reflect on what's going on in their life through the power of the Holy Spirit and see, wow, that is how God has been good to them. And if you look at verse 28 of Proverbs 31, you see that this woman's children, they rise up, they call her blessed, and her husband also praises her. And so as you're reflecting on this question, don't keep what you, are, are, what you learn to yourself, but tell your spouse. Tell them, this is how I see God's goodness in you. This is how you are a gift from God to me. And this is how, I, in, in confession and repentance, I have had, had planks in my own eye that have kept me from seeing that. I'm sorry. And that is how you can pursue reconciliation and discipleship together in your marriage. And to bring it full circle, we have to remember that we don't do this in our own strength. The way we see Jesus will always shape the way we see our spouse. Think about it. If you can't see anything good or praiseworthy in Jesus, who is perfect, then how could you ever hope or expect to see something good and praiseworthy and excellent in your spouse who is not perfect? Our relationship with the Lord is going to be what empowers and shapes our relationship with our spouse. Raymond Ortland gets at this really well. He says, how you see God will inevitably show up in how you treat your family. You can fake it at work, but you cannot fake it at home. How you really see God, not what you're supposed to believe about God, but what you really believe will show up in how you treat your family. If you cannot bring yourself to praise your family members and you live with them in silent, sullen, defeated mediocrity, there is a reason. And the reason is how you see Christ. So see Him. See Him in His grace and His glory toward you, rejoicing over you with all His mighty heart. It will change how you treat your family and a lot more. And so again, thinking back to how Jesus practiced wisdom among His family, He didn't give up on them. He pursued reconciliation and discipleship over the long haul. And here's the thing, if you are a Christian, you are part of Jesus' family. You are part of Jesus' family, which means He is not giving up on you and your family. He's not giving up on our church. Wherever there, there seems to be conflict, there is hope because Jesus is not giving up on your relationship with your parents. He's not giving up on your relationship with your kids or your siblings. He's not giving up on your marriage. In Christ, you have the wisdom you need to cultivate your family as a sacred canopy where you can be known and, and loved by one another. You have in Christ the time to pursue reconciliation. The clock stopped. You have life everlasting before you in Him. So you can take the time to be wise in your listening, wise in your speaking together. And you have in Him all the heavenly resources you need to cultivate discipleship together. This is a beautiful thing. And it's okay that it's not perfect. It's okay that it's messy along the way. 
because this is what Jesus did with his own biological family and it's what he's doing in our biological families and it's what he's doing in his kingdom family, the church. So may this be the people we grow to become in God's wisdom. Amen? Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that we can in fact call you Father, that we have the spirit of adoption in our hearts, reminding us, pouring into our hearts even your very love. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for your example, and not just your example, but for the relationship we have with you as members of, of the family of God, that you don't give up on us. You don't give up on our families. Help us to have the hope to pursue reconciliation, to not settle for bitterness or grudges, and brokenness, but to pursue reconciliation over the long haul. Help us not to despair. Help us not to have contempt, but to bring these things into the light that what is broken may be mended by you. We know, of course, things will not be put all the way back together before you return, but we know that they can grow better than what they, what they are right now. Be with our students, Lord. Help us to listen to them. Forgive those of us who are adults and have failed to listen to students who have made them feel like their ideas and their problems don't matter because they're not 18. And Lord, would you give the next generation um, the, the courage to use their voice, to speak with wisdom, to tell us how we can love and serve them, and to recognize that they get to play a role in your family. They matter. Their discipleship matters right now, no matter how old or young they are. So Lord, grow us as a church, as a family, grow us to be a place where we can support one another's families, that much fruit might be born of the Spirit, and as we walk in wisdom, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.